This is, this is going to be a little interactive, so I asked Cassidy to hang out there in front with a mic. So if, if I ask a question and you raise your hand, she should pass it to you or pass it to someone near you and get it there. you got to say the thing, Paul. Say the thing. The thing? Yeah. Hi, this is Paul. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Hi, this is Paul. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. All right. One of the things that became immediately apparent last night when I got here is that y'all are from a lot of different places. We got a train worker over here from Poland. We got, where's our Israeli? Or is he a Russian? Depends on the day, depends on the context, <laughs> whatever he needs to be. Um, South Africa, a lot of folks from the other places here in Europe but last night, you know, we left here and um, it was raining hard. And I asked a few of you, well, where, where are you staying? Well, we're camping right over there. And I thought, oh, that sounds grim. <laughs> and, and, and Vendonk said to me, oh, I almost wanted to offer them a, a place here at the house. And he looked at me and said, to the highest bidder. <laughs> <laughs> All this to say, a number of you made a priority of this. You sacrificed to be here. You wanted to be here. Why? What did you come here for? That's where you raise your hands, people. <laughs> I'm going to just pick people There's if you don't start volunteering. Why did you come here? I honestly came here to uh, find people that would be interested in having deep conversations with others. So uh, I even have this issue with my uh, friends or whatever. Not everybody's always interested in deep conversations or intellectual conversation whatsoever. And I found this community to be one where you can just meet live and have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And not for the sake of just uh, scratching an intellectual itch, but sort of in a... Uh, in a way where you, you'd, you'd seek self-transformation or some, some form of improvement yep. Yep. to evolve, <laughs> To <I suppose>. evolve. <laughs> Oh, that's right. And, and some of you might say, well, I, I, I came to see Paul Vanderclay. You didn't come to see Paul Vanderclay. You can see Paul Vanderclay anytime you want on the YouTube. And you can listen to him for hours and hours and hours and hours on the podcast. You did not have to come here for that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I would argue, and I've seen this, and we've done a number of these type events now, and I've often heard people say, and they say it a little apologetic to me, but they don't really need to say it. Well, Paul, I was thinking of coming, but then so-and-so, who I've been talking to, was also going to be there, and I wanted to meet him, so I decided to come. In other words, it was the other relationship that pushed them over the edge. And I think coming here and listening to me talk isn't anywhere near as much fun as doing what you all have been doing for the last number of hours ever since you got here last night. And I, this morning I got here and it reminded me, I made a comment to some people, of church campouts I went to as a kid. 
So if you got your bingo cards out, we're going to talk about Patterson. <laughs> you know, my you know, Byrne went through a bunch of 20th century history. Well, my father's church was a Christian Reformed church, so that's in the Dutch Calvinist tree. And but it was a Christian Reformed church that was trying the experiment of doing a Christian Reformed church in the middle of an African-American community in Patterson, New Jersey. And so what happened was, sure, there were some black folks from the community, but there were also some Dutch CRC folks and even an Indonesian family and some other people that came from other places. And they came to Northside because they wanted to be a part of something. They wanted to be part of an experiment. They wanted to try something. And they didn't just want to read about it in a book. They didn't just want to hear about it in a story. They wanted to be there in the flesh, in real time, doing things. And last night when I saw y'all sort of huddled under the under the tents with the downpour, thinking about climbing into that tent, I was really hoping those tents didn't leak and it sounded like most of you had a decent night's sleep. I thought, yeah, this is why they come. Now, if this goes anywhere, if this lasts more than a year or two, and I certainly don't know that, every one of you is going to be really happy you came this year because at that point you'll be back in your beds. And you will have had your face here and your name here and the relationships here. And you could say, you know what? We went to Landau and that first Bridges of Meaning festival in Germany and we were there. Next year, maybe if I can talk Verveke and Peugeot and, you know, then, then suddenly we couldn't fit in a place like this and, you know, all of that stuff. But the griminess, the reality of this, the, the fact that you are exerting yourself for this will make this special. Because of the rain, because of the sleeping out there, because of walking to the supermarket and all the stuff you've done. And chances are good, even though this is being recorded, chances are good you might not remember that anything that I say or anything that Burns said or anything that Jan van Donk said. You'll probably more remember the conversations that you had in your little estuary breakouts and the beginnings of relationships that happened in those places. One of the things that I noticed both in the Dutch estuary and in this one is that there is a high percentage of you that I have had online conversations with. That's not accidental in that every time you go into a, even eye contact, bump into someone, say hello, it's a bid. It's a bid into a deeper world. It's a bid into creating something that you don't know where it's going to go. So this wouldn't be a Bridges of Meaning festival if we didn't have some fancy Verveke words. We have to, um, it was Job who first introduced me to the phrase fancy Verveke words. So thank you, Job. <laughs> fancy Verveke words of moreness and suchness. So the suchness is the relationship at a time, at a place, with that siren, with the rain, with the tents, with the food, with all of this suchness. Completely unique. It's at one place in time here in the globe. The moreness is the possibility that 
the people that you sat around in that estuary group, you connected with someone. There's a little bit of suchness, but there was also a hint of moreness. And then maybe you played chess. And then maybe you went to the supermarket together. And then maybe you bummed a ride. And then when you left here, well, you had a little bit of a friendship. And then maybe you sent an email or messaged or WhatsApp or whatever you did. Maybe you had a conversation on Teddy's channel. You saw something and you engaged with it. So most of you probably know, or some of you know who Luke Thompson is. Uh, Luke is on the other side of the Atlantic. And I'll tell you, getting over here, one of my big dreams is to try and bridge this Atlantic divide as much as we can. But Luke Thompson loves to talk about the relational, and he's right. And if you listen to the Peterson McGilchrist talk, that was about the relational. Because that moreness and suchness and everything that you're doing here is all about the relational. Because the truth is, if you look at all of those stages that Byrne went through, what's coming next is exploring what we've been talking about in this little corner of the internet, which is the reality of things you cannot see or touch and cannot control, but you deeply wish to participate in them and create them and foster them. Life is a very difficult thing to define, but one, of, one way to sort of think about life is, in fact, this relationality. Now, as human beings, all of you are powerfully relational. You are relational on a level that, well, um, how many of you have dogs? Okay, a few of you. How many of you have cats? Why are, well, cats are a little relational. Dogs are a favorite pet, man's best friend, because they're deeply relational with us. They get us. They get us in a way that almost no other animal gets. But compared to a dog, all of us are so much more relational than any of those dogs. Just look around us here. Anything that is constructed by anything that is living is a product of relationality. All of these molecules, this is probably a lot of aluminum, the bauxite, the electricity, all of the processes that have put these things together, it's all about relationships in order and putting it together in a specific way, in a specific time, with a specific technology in order to achieve something that you desire. It's all this relationality and it's built into everything we do. Now, if you, I don't know, any, any wildlife back there? Ground squirrels, uh, birds? I've heard a rooster. Chickens. Chickens, yes. I saw a lizard. Saw a lizard, okay. What do we often do when we see a strange animal? What do we want to do? Eat it. Eat it. <laughs> that is correct, broadly speaking. You go to a national park, so I was just in the Canadian National Parks, and they have all these signs. Anybody know what the sign says with respect to the wildlife? Don't. Don't feed the wildlife. Why do they have to put that sign up? Why do we want to feed the wildlife? want to lure them in why do we want to lure them in why do we want them to like us control oh, no. 
because all of that little wildlife you find in a national park, you can go to a zoo and see the African animals that you learned their names when you were a child. What is, what do you, why do you care about that squirrel? Why do you care about that deer? Why do you care about that bear? You want to have a relationship with that animal and you don't even know why, but you are drawn to it. Now let's talk about human beings because, well, there's combinatorial explosiveness. When you, when you get next to that bear or that deer or that squirrel and you want to feed that animal, you want to have a relationship with it. You don't even know where it goes. There's moreness and there's suchness. Now, when it comes to human beings, that's squared because you've got one enormously relational being meeting another enormously relational being, and there's absolutely no idea where that can go. Now, saying something like that immediately reminds me of, as Grim Grizz likes to call him, Papa Peterson. Why? Now, you can have all these relational ideas, but in order to actually have something happen, you need to do something. You need to act in the world. If you live in your head, probably nothing's going to happen. You need to act. You need to do. It's relational. Reality is fundamentally relational, and human beings first relate to all sorts of inanimate objects, and, well, that's cool, and relating to inanimate objects in a, in a really purposeful way is meaningful. Whoever laid down this block patio here, when they got done with it, what do you think they did? You all know what they did. What did they do? They had a beer. And a barbecue. They probably sat back and they looked at it, didn't they? They looked at it. And they, they saw imperfections that you don't see. They say, ugh. But, they, but this was a very meaningful endeavor. So meaning and relationality and doing are deeply, deeply connected. Now, what happens when two people engage in this? Now, we've been doing that online, and part of the cool thing about the internet is that I'm in, here in Europe, and my father never got to Europe um, for various reasons, but I'm here in Europe because I have relationships with some of you. Now, the, deep frustra the deeply frustrating thing about an event like this for me is there are way too many of you. And you could say, well, there's not that many of us. But I can sit next to you in a lunch. I can watch you play chess. I can do this. But I know that each one of you is a relational journey of untold depths. Why is it that, and you know, I didn't plan any of this out. I just made a Peterson video and people started to watch and people wanted to talk and I talked back and I'd been a pastor. So I talked to them like a pastor and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But why is it that, okay, Paul, I want to talk to you and I'd get you, Job, you, you all know the ritual. Um, um, hi, this is Paul. And well, and 
up they come and zoom and what 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 is the what is the key word that i say tell me a little bit about yourself and by a little bit i, I really don't mean a little bit because you're going to tell me a little something about you and i'm going to pull that thread and you're going to tell me a little more and i'm going to pull that thread and now that gets a little frustrating i usually try and save a little bit of time at the end of the conversation for you to ask a question or give me an idea of why you really wanted to talk to me. But I'm not really, well, I think I know why all of us want to talk to each other because we have a sense that every single person across from us here potentially is a well of depth and meaning and purpose and power that we cannot fathom and it can all only be unleashed in relationship. And the reason we are here is because doing this online is pretty cool because we can but doing this in person is a lot better and it's always hard to know because i will have had more conversation with our polish railway worker online than probably i'll get in on this time because we had a full hour and so but when I met him here, when I saw him over there last night, oh, he's taller than I thought. He looks a little bit different because he's three-dimensional now. And I can see how he walks. And now, now all of that right now might not mean a lot. But we don't know where it goes. Now, on the video that I made about addressing three criticisms that video kind of got away from me because I really wanted to talk about what all of this is about. Because what all of this is about is relationships. And as I've said many times, this isn't about having a relationship with a YouTuber, me or Byrne or Cassidy or anybody who has a channel or Manuel. This is a relationship. This is about relating to each other and building a fabric together and building something that has even more power than just a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Now, there are very special one-on-one -on -one relationships that actually have the power to create more of us. And we're all deeply interested in that. And when that's done really well, it costs a tremendous amount of time and energy and life to actually bring a human being into this world and give that human being everything they need to launch out into the world takes, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, 20 plus years of your life, a whole lot of attention and sacrifice, and you will be permanently, in some ways, connected to that other human being that really almost nothing can sever. Now, I'm in Europe, and I was on a podcast yesterday, ironically called The New World. And I thought, well, that's kind of ironic because for me coming here, I'm in the old world and it is old. So I walked around Leiden and what's the name of that town? With the wall? Horkum. I can't, I don't have a Dutch throat. I can't say these Dutch names. Horkum. And you come into this world and you look around and there's all this old stuff. And Jan and Job driving around the Dutch countryside. I, I really don't know what y'all are going to do with all of these huge windmills because 
I wouldn't be surprised if 10 or 15 years from now they take them all down just because they think, are we really getting enough electricity from them that justifies completely dominating all of our landscapes all over the place? I don't know. I don't know if that's a controversial issue. We'll see. But what I did see all over the Dutch countryside were church steeples. And I was talking to our um, South African over there who was mentioning that back in the day when they were settling that place, you couldn't start a town until you had a what? Say it loud. Church. A church. You couldn't start a town until you had a church. We've been in, we went, went into some of those churches and we saw that, well, they had the evolution of the church. And in at least two of the churches we saw, and I would imagine this is probably the case, they'd build the little room for people to be in and they'd build this tall tower. And coming from a contemporary Protestant North American context, people don't build churches that way. Well, Protestants don't build churches that way anymore. Why? Well, because we're not going to spend all our money on this tower where the city ordinance won't even let us ring a bell or anything. Why did they build the tower? So you can see it from afar. Good. That's very practical. That's very of us. Why did they build the tower? As a landmark to mark the center of the community. Good. Almost every decent question has way more than one answer. Why did they build the tower? Because the sound needs to carry far. Or they're pointing towards something higher. Okay, the sound travels very. The sound travels very far. To look up. To look up. Yeah, to point to some, something higher. To point to something higher to connect. To make you small. To make you small. I mean, all y'all have watched enough Jonathan Peugeot. What does that tower do? That tower connects heaven and earth. Now, Sam Harris has absolutely no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been able to make videos for a while, so I'm a little pent up. Sam Harris has absolutely no clue what's going on there. That tower connects heaven and earth, and that tower connects the group of people meeting in that little room next to the tower to heaven and earth, and you can't have a town unless it's around it, so that tower connects the entire town to heaven and earth. In the words of Verveke, that tower is a psychotechnology. That tower locates the town in a far larger story, in a far larger landscape that these people need in order to be situated in life and in death. That tower is fundamentally relational and that tower ties the entire universe together for them. Now, I, I'm, I was really excited about the conversation I had with the New World podcast, and he said it'll come out about 10 days, it'll be on their channel, and then after it's run its course on YouTube, he said, then we'd like it if you'd post it on your channel, I said I'd be happy to, and so y'all will get a chance to see it, and it was a wonderful conversation, but 
the, you know, many of the con one of the part of where the conversation went was he said, the Netherlands is very secular. And I said, well, that that kind of surprises me. Why? I said, because when I walk around, this place is just bathed in religion. I mean, I'm in North America. When I drive through the countryside, I don't see church towers. When I drive through the countryside, I don't see St. George and the Dragon. I don't see... You're, 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 I, I told him, I said, maybe part of the reason the people aren't vocalizing with their mouths is perhaps the stones are already crying out. See, somebody knows this Bible. <laughs> the stones are crying out. And, and I see that here in Germany, too. So, so we went to a restaurant last night, and they didn't take cards. And so poor Job had to find an ATM. And he said, oh, this is a very Catholic country. There's Marys all over the place. There's crosses all over the place. This is, there, there's, there's a lot of religion here. And there's a lot of different kinds of religion here. We noted in Job's community, they're building a significantly, uh, significantly sized church in that place. So it is not that people, nobody goes to church in Europe, but all of this stuff is situated and it's situated relationally. So then I asked the, um, I, I, I would have liked to have pursued this angle in, in a podcast like this. It's his job to ask me questions. It's his audience. I, you know, I try not to have them click away in the first few minutes. Like I know most of you did when the algorithm first served up my video about Jordan Peterson. I know you did. Some of you admit it. I said, no <laughs> minister. No. And somehow you watched it and here we are. But I, I wanted to really press on him and say, uh, why do you keep those buildings around? Well, and he said, he immediately said, well, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to keep them here. Well, well, why, why the urgency? Well, they used to be filled with people, the people who are motivated to expend themselves significantly to build something that looks as useless to us as a tower. And they used to pay for themselves in a sense. And yeah, there was politics involved and there was competition involved and all of those things were happening. But now suddenly, they don't pay for themselves anymore, and they're old and expensive. And so, well, I don't know. You know, we'll have to, we'll have to have the taxpayers keep the roof on these places. Well, they've certainly got tourism dollars, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I really wanted to lean into them and say, why do you keep the buildings? And the funny thing is, I don't know that he knows. And I don't know that we can answer that question. Well, they're pretty, they're, they're, they're. And it's just like that relational thing. Well, why do you come here? Well, because somehow I know that relating to this is important. It's meaningful. Now, now I think... When I look at all of these churches, obviously people hundreds of years ago 
had a reason for building them because we're a great deal wealthier than they are. And so when they sacrificed to put these churches together, it probably meant they were considerably less comfortable than if they had just kept the money to themselves. I, I look at this even in the new world when I think about the Christian schools that the Dutch Calvinists built and the churches and all of those people that, that I know because they're part of my tradition. They sacrificed in order to build the church and build the school because that was really important. Why? Well, that's a complicated answer, but I almost look at these churches as, you know, if you watch um, Independent Day. So one of the things I've also learned here is that all of you have seen American movies. Um, we Americans are the conquerors. We are controlling you through McDonald's, Domino's, KFC, but especially our movies. So Independence Day. So the aliens are coming down and they're kicking our butts, but what do they hear about out in Area 51? Nobody watched Independence Day? Maybe I'm proved wrong. I watched it. Will Smith? Yeah. I could have been a donkey. <laughs> There's a UFO in Alien 50 in Area 51. There's an alien spacecraft. But they have a problem, right? What's their problem? They don't know how to work it. I look around Europe and I look at these churches and I almost see alien spacecrafts. Because all the people living around here, except it's not that the aliens came from somewhere else, it's that nobody or very few people here still know how to work it. And so then I think, now there, this is a very complex thing and I don't wanna to go too far in this because that could be a very long thing. But somehow I think, that what we're doing here, that we've learned to use screens, and here I have my cute little tablet here with some notes that I've you know, diligently made between 1 and 2 a.m. last night because I wanted to be sure I had something, but I was also probably sure I was going to completely ignore it, most of which I have. We have all these screens. And, and the thing about this screen, this is not even close to the potential of any one of you for relationship and for glory. And, and so part of me, I mean, this is the craziest thing for a, someone who, you know, in a sense is here because of YouTube to say that it's, again, screens are fine. I listen to YouTube. I'm not turning my screens away. I'm not getting rid of my smartphone. I'm gonna keep watching YouTube, yada, yada, yada. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing, but the connections that you guys make here, the connections that you make in your estuaries, all of those connections, I believe, are part of our culture relearning how to use the alien technology. Now, we've learned a ton of things in the last couple of hundred years. Our relational capacity to manage and to order and to control and to develop systems, we have grown immensely. But the truth is that the most powerful 
the most powerful things around us are not running through wires or going over internets, but are sitting here in these chairs. And the kinds of relationships that you can build can become something. Again, back to Papa Peterson. You have to do something. It has to be relational. All of this started for me when I was playing around with YouTube because it was kind of a fun thing, and Freddie Schuler said, Pastor Paul, why don't me and you make a TV show? Okay, Freddie. Well, I'm not going to go down to public access. Let's just go to, let's just make a little something, put it on YouTube. So then we did that. Eh, make a little video about Senate. I did that. I'll make a little video about how altars work. I did that. Nobody watched any of these things. I saw Jordan Peterson make his videos, and I thought, hmm. And I listened to the response, and I said, it looks to me like a whole group of people, the great-great-grandsons of the people that built all of that alien technology that Christians and non-Christians alike, the whole world wants to come, out, come around and gawk at here in Museum Europe. It seems to me that these people want to get back in touch with this alien technology. And... What would that look like? What if they started talking to one another? What if they started relating? What if they started to knit themselves together into communities, into families, into churches? Maybe then the things could fly and we would all learn what a tower is for and whatever next psychotechnologies come wedded with the old will do and in my opinion where it will go now at this point i always sort of lose control of the talk it's not for me um at this at this point i always lose control of the talk because I think something that our ancestors who built the alien technologies understood was that Job said it the other day, you know, let's say you're a stonemason. You spend your whole life working on that church or that cathedral and you die and your son picks up the trade and he works it too. All of these people work to build something that they themselves will not receive the fruits of. Hmm. What does that mean? I think it means the same thing with all of the little touches of suchness and moreness that we have going on here. Because, again, I know this is a difficult thing for modern people to believe. And part of my desire is to help modern people believe this. But I believe that at least some, if not many or most or who knows how many, of the relationships that you build here, there'll be moreness, and there'll be more after that, and more after that. Now the thing is, John 71 and Burns 69 and or 67, and I'm 59, so our time is running out. And you know, how many years will you get to know Paul Vanderclay? And I know some of you. Oh, Paul, I want everybody to watch your videos. Yeah, then you're going to have a harder time talking to me or getting a rando slot. So it's self-defeating. But 
I do believe that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And I believe that those alien psychotechnologies that your ancestors sacrificed to build in the old world will somehow connect heaven and earth. And I don't know how it's going to go, and I don't know how it's going to happen, but I suspect it is a critical part of the story. And again, the irony is that what you all are doing here today in becoming a body of sorts, talked about that in some of my videos, I want to get into that more, becoming a body of sorts is the kind of thing that actually does this. So most of all, I want to thank you for coming. And I look forward to, we've got, you know, this evening and tomorrow, and I'll have more conversations with you all. And thank you for your gifts. And, you know, all of that is great. But what I really want for you is to build the relationships. Take the suchness, lean into the moreness, try something, do something, and see where it goes. Five years ago, I made a video, less than five years ago, I made a video about Jordan Peterson having no idea where it would go. And John Van Donk and I suddenly had moreness in our relationship. And then Job contacted me, and we had moreness in our relationship. And Cassidy, tipless restaurant the woman wanted to talk to me about. I almost turned her down. I want to talk to you about a tipless restaurant. Is this a naked publicity grab? And then the next, the next video, she says... I want to talk to you about why I don't like Jordan Peterson. Oh, that'll do, that'll do wonders for the algorithm. But, all right. Let's look for the moreness in the relationship. And how many of you? And here we go, and here we are. And what can't God do with this? So, what he will do with it, I don't know. But what can't he do with it? So take these days, lean into that moreness, build those relationships, and then do something. Almost everything I've done in my life as a minister has failed. Who would imagine making a YouTube about a Canadian psychologist would do something like this? You're young, most of you. Fail plenty. Talk to John Van Donk about how many jobs he's had. The failure that he was and how many jobs. Somebody asked me, well, John isn't a pastor right now. Can you clarify that? John says, no, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Lean into the moreness, do something, and believe. Now, I know some of you are a little vague on the God thing, but I'm a pastor, so you expect to hear it. Believe that God can do more than you can possibly ask or imagine. There's my talk. Thanks, Paul.